So welcome to the Plus One podcast and today is the first episode and I'm thrilled to welcome um, a lady, Jennifer Lynch, who I got to know over the last couple of years and has actually been the inspiration for this podcast. Um, she's going to talk about some of her work today um, and particularly the, the area of universal design for learning, um, UDL, um, and that's where the name for the podcast came um, so UDL incorporates this idea of plus one and Jen is going to perhaps tell us about that and, and some other aspects of UDL um, today. So welcome Jen, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast. Hi Joe, how are you? <laughs> Super, I'm good. Very honoured, um, I don't know how to follow that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I thought you had to be the first person on the podcast because, because uh, as I say, you brought me um, into UDL and... Uh, and it, it's the it's where the podcast has come from. So yeah, you're you're another one of my disciples that I've brought along. Absolutely, that's <laughs> it. Yeah. So I mean, cue everybody up. To just just tell us who's Jen Lynch, um, and and kind of what's your your journey into education, I suppose, and into into the, this whole area. Yeah. So I suppose um, I returned to education um, as a mature student, actually, and. Um, I always wanted to do a degree so like my background is as a dental nurse so I was a dental nurse for a long time and what I always had this um, I suppose grow inside me that I really wanted to do a degree and um, to be honest with you I never felt clever enough or academic enough um, to do a degree the first time around um, and then when I was um, in my 30s um, I decided to go back to education um, so I did a, um, I did a degree in English and history and as soon well actually I did an access course um, first of all and as soon as I did the access course I thought oh this, this is me this is me I found my tribe um, and I, I just wanted to teach adults so I did my degree and then I did my HD um, so um, when I left um, university first, I suppose I thought I kind of wanted to get away from dental nursing altogether. But the funny thing was, like, I suppose life was a way of kind of bringing you back to things. Um, and I came across an advertisement as a dental nursing teacher. So I thought, oh, OK. So um, I ended up I'm working in Moreno College of Further Education. Um, so I've been working there for the past five years. So um, that's it's kind of been really great. But before I started in Moreno College, um, I worked in the disability sector as well. So I worked um, in the National Learning Network. Um, so I was um, like career guidance there and I also worked as a support teacher. So that was a huge kind of, I suppose, inspiration for me at the start of my career. It was a great kind of learning for me. Um, it really taught me, I'm so grateful for being in the disability sector and, you know, seeing the innovation um, behind the disability sector. It's definitely a different pace to what I'm doing at the moment, either, you know, in the further education sector. Um, but definitely when I see the way teachers teach in the disability sector, and I suppose, um you know, that's the whole thing with, with the UDL. That's what kind of encouraged me to start looking at the UDL. It was how do you bring everybody through, um, you know, a programme um, all together, you know, people with different needs. So to start having that, I suppose, um, you know, having that educational journey um, at the very beginning of my career um, has been quite, um, I suppose, it's, it's 
you know, it's kind of setting me up um, to be the teacher that I've turned out to be, I suppose. Yeah. And that's, that's quite a teacher. I mean, last year you won the John Kelly Award for Universal Design for Learning. Um, tell us a little bit about that, and, and what what is Universal Design for Learning to start with, and then and then what's all this award? You know, what, what how did that come about? Well, I, to, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I kind of found UDL by mistake. Um, I thought I was signing up for a different course, and I signed up for UDL. So to be honest, I had no idea about UDL. Um, and when I signed up for the course, um, when I was accepted onto it, um, I thought, oh, God, I better go and, and find out about this course. But as soon as I read about UDL, my mind was blown. I thought, this is just absolutely amazing. So UDL, um, as you know, Joe, because you're one of my disciples, um, Universal Design for um, Learning, it's how you... I suppose it's how the brain works and how everybody's brain is different and how we all learn differently. So I think that's really important for us as teachers and lecturers to understand that everybody learns differently. So it's really about um, offering students choice. And if you think about when you're, I suppose, designing a building, you don't just design a building with steps up to it. You know, if you look at, you know, universe design, you're going to um, design a building with a ramp up to it as well. And what that does is that's like it's part of an inclusion process. So that will help not only people with, you know, a disability, but also like the elderly or, you know, a person with a crown. So that's the whole premise really around universal design for learning it's that you know it's like designing a curriculum for everybody and to offer people choice in the curriculum as well so I actually was really um I was really intrigued by it um, and in fairness I think a lot of people kind of do UDL without thinking about it or realizing there's a framework about it yeah. so that's why I thought um when I did the course and I, I did um, win the John Kelly Award and um, the reason I suppose that one of the reasons I won it um, is that I kind of combined um, my journey with another education, which was actually the National Learning Network. So um, I overlapped a module that I was teaching with a module in the National Learning Network. And I kind of wanted to bring all the students kind of through with the help of um, the other tutor that was involved as well. So um, it was a really kind of, I suppose, exciting and um, innovative process that we kind of uh, went through together. So, um, so what, what, what's the, so, so tell us about the course before UDL. Uh, so what were you teaching and who were you teaching it to? You know, to tell us who the students were and then tell us what when you applied UDL what did you do differently or, or make sure yeah so I suppose what I applied it to so the courses that I do at, in um the further education so we do like level four and um, level five and level six courses um and I suppose you know you're kind of doing a level six course um and for a couple of years, I was, I was kind of frustrated by maybe people going from a level five to a level six and kind of And, and for, for people who don't know what level four, five, six are, I mean... So it's, on the, it's on the QQI framework. So um, level four would be like a return to learning. Um, so it's kind of like, I suppose, the maybe the junior cert. Um, okay. Level five is like the equivalent of the leaving cert and then level six it's, it's a higher award so it's the qqi um framework 
Okay, um, so this is this is kind of towards the end of school and and the beginning of college. It's that kind of it for, exactly. for people who aren't in Ireland, for instance, who are trying yeah. to place these things. Yeah, exactly. So okay. I mean, like you know, when people finish their leaving cert, they can, they can choose to apply to the CAO, which we have. I think in this country we have a bit of an obsession. Um, of applying to the CAO and getting into university yeah. um, or the other alternative is to do a course in a PLC course so I suppose what I found was um, our students were very diverse so yeah. we have students that maybe didn't get enough points to get into university so yeah. they have chosen to come back um, and do a PLC course and that's kind of like um, that will bring them into university the following following year you know and um, there's a progression route there or we had um, students coming back um, to education after, a, you know, um, a long time away from education. So you might have um, young mothers with kids that will decide, you know what, it's my time now. I want to go back to education. Um, and then you have a lot of, um, you know, foreign national students that are coming in and they want to get themselves um, an education. But English isn't their first language. So if you have, you know, all those different co cohorts in your class how can you bring them all through successfully and that's where universal design for learning comes in right. you're not talking about just disabled people you're talking i mean whatever disability means you're talking about quite a wide spectrum of, of what mostly adult or all adult learners yes yeah. I mean, I, I would say universal design for learning enables people. You know, it's not just for people that are disabled, but we all have some form, form of disability. Every one of us have yeah. some form of disability. Um, I mean, I wouldn't be fantastic at maths. So I would say that that gives me trouble, you know, in, in my life that I can't work out a percentage off the top of my head. Um, that that was something that I struggled with in school. Um, you know, maths wouldn't be. So we all have, and I'm not, I'm not trying to poo-poo this, but no. we all have challenges, you mm. know. So whether it's that person who has two or three kids um, and they're returning to education, and that's a challenge, you know, for them that they, they're they coming back to education. Somebody that English isn't their first language, somebody that has dyslexia, somebody that has dyspraxia. So how do you offer them an even, a level playing field and bring people through at the same time? So you're um, not looking... Do, people, do, people, do, do educators not do that anyway? I mean, is, is this not built into modern education anyway that we give everybody a level, level playing field or is it something that we still need to do work on? I, I, th I think the curriculum is built around this idea of an average student, you know, I think that, you know, module descriptors that we get and we use, it's it's this idea that people are at um, a certain level and this is why they call it level four, level five or level six mm -hmm. and you're supposed to be at that level but what happens if you kind of, you're not at that level, you know, how, how and who are you to say that I'm, at, I'm not at that level or who am I to say somebody else is not at that level? So again, it's about kind of offering choice to people. And in an ideal world, we'll all sit in a classroom and we'll all be academically the same. But that doesn't happen, you know. Um, some people, you know, some people would struggle more academically with some subjects and not other subjects, you know. Um, some people would struggle with, with writing English. And I mean, I'm sure you know yourself, Joe, if you sit down to a computer and you're told, to write a 2,500 word essay, you know, it takes people a long time to get their head around writing 2,500 essay. Yeah. So why not offer someone the choice, you know? So instead of focusing on, on the written word, 
why not focus on a little bit of creativity? So offer the students choice of doing something alternative to that. So what, I, what might be an example of, of I mean, what, what's an al alternative to writing uh, the essay? Because I mean, yeah, that's, well, standard, uh, that's a standard ask these days, isn't it? In, yeah, absolutely. And that, that's the thing. But um, I suppose an example for that would be um, the project that I did for the John Kelly Award. Um, so on the, the module descriptor, descriptor, it was 2,500 word essay. Um, and I thought, you know, some of, some of the students, uh, as I said, English wasn't the first language. I had two students in my class with dyslexia that they'd always struggled. Um, and I had a couple of different kind of challenges in the class. Um, so I thought, how can I ask them to do something differently? So what I asked them to do was I gave them the option of doing the 2,500 word essay or they can choose to present their work as a PowerPoint um, and they could talk over the PowerPoint as they were presenting it. Obviously, you have to give them different criteria. So they had to talk for 10 minutes and they had to have 10 slides. That's the equivalent of 2,000 to 3,000 words. So what's the difference between somebody writing it and somebody orally expressing themselves? And sometimes people can orally express themselves a lot you know, better than what they can, you know, um, particularly if English is in their first language or someone that has dyslexia. So I kind of feel like sometimes offering students choice um, gives them that freedom, you know, um, not, not focusing on word count makes students actually give you more words, you know. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I, you're also, I suppose, with, with something like PowerPoint, for instance, you're engaging visuals you're engaging imagery and and stuff like that which which perhaps uses different learning centers to Absolutely. to just writing stuff down on a page yeah i mean i have to say even this year with the online learning um a lot of my students this year um presented i'd say 99% of their work through powerpoint and some of the powerpoints that i received back blew my mind because the creativity involved and I, I, I was looking at them going how should they do this this is amazing and you know as a teacher I was being taught you know I was going back to the students say show me how you did that you know oh, isn't that wonderful isn't that a great place to be I love it when that yeah. it was brilliant and I mean I was looking forward to so instead of getting these you know 2500 word scripts that you're like oh my god I just spent the whole of my Easter correcting it you're looking forward to receiving this work and seeing how creative your students are and actually sometimes your students will get back in contact with, with you and say actually would you mind if I add a little bit more because I missed out on this so offering them you know a creative outlet and yeah. um, I think it's really important so stop focusing on you know that narrow-minded 2500 word written essay you know and um, I think there's more to life than that so it's, it seems what from what you're saying, and I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, are the students themselves feeling more engaged with the material and what they're being asked to do as a result of being given choice? I think so. I, I think giving them the freedom to choose, definitely, um, you know, I suppose they, they feel like they're authors of their own work, you know? Um, like another example that I have is um, this year, because I teach on, on the dental program, um, I teach on the level six dental program. Uh, reflective practice is very important for our students and it is in all science subjects. 
um, and they had to write a diary entry every single day. And we found that this is really, really taxing. So what we've got them to do is they they now have they have the option of recording their diary entry, um, either um, visually or verbally. So you, you know how great they are, like students are on WhatsApp and sound notes. Um, you know, so we kind of encourage them, pick up your phone and record into your phone and then upload it. And that's worked really, really well. So, and again, you're getting you're getting more of the creative side. Um, and I suppose um, they are their, the authors of their own story there, I think, you know. Um, and there's not this focus on just sitting down at the end of the day and typing out, you know, a diary that everybody doesn't like doing. So very few. That, that, that sounds a bit kind of like maverick, doesn't it? So you're asking people to use their phones? Yes. Well, I mean, I feel like, uh, you know, at this stage in our lives, why are we fighting against technology? You know, why not go with technology? So, and I mean, I've incorporated that a lot this year. Obviously, we've had to be online, but the last couple of years, um, you know, sitting in a lecture hall and you're watching the student and they're, you know, scanning through Facebook or Instagram or so why not use this technology that's in their in their hands? So, you know, use it to their advantage. So encourage them to take out their phone. You know, we, we're not the oracles anymore. We don't know everything. Um, I think we're like Google has definitely outdone us um, from, from that part. But so encourage them to, you know, participate in the class using technology as much as they can. So, you know, if if the technology is there to record sound notes, record it. You know, why not? You know, if you can take a video, I'm asking my students for evidence. So if they can take a video of um, a tray that they've set up in the dental surgery, why not? Why can't they upload that as evidence? You know, what's just to say they can't do it? So I think to rather than fight against technology, because I think at this stage of our career, if we're still fighting against technology, you know, it's it's a losing battle at this stage, you know. So I think encourage rather than, you know, discourage, really. So going back to something you said a minute or two ago, then. So are you are you not a fan of kind of sage on stage, of, of you being the fount of all knowledge? I I think that's the, the, the worst thing in the world. Um, I suppose <laughs> the thing, I, I am the inter- eternal student. Um, I was kind of laughing to myself because although I, I returned to education in my 30s, I have been doing courses ever since. Since 2011, every year I've been doing courses. So for me, I think um, as a teacher, um, I have a lot of empathy for students. So I don't feel like I know everything about a subject. And one of the first things I always say to my students is, listen, I might know something about this, but I'd really love you to come in and tell me something that you know. So, you know, because I'm dealing with adults on a daily basis, I, you know, you don't know their background. You don't know, you know, what what their experience has been. And they they might know a hundred times more than you do on a a specific subject. So why not kind of bring that forward into your class? You know, why not encourage that? Um, you know, dialogue with them. And instead of me saying to them, I know everything and you know nothing, so you need to sit there and listen to me. It's like, you know, come into the class, show me the new technolo- technology, you know, or let me show you something, go off and learn it and come back to me and show me more, you know. Um, so I don't have to be the expert in everything. And I think that's been a revelation for me as a teacher, 
um, that I don't have to be the expert at everything. The students, you know, that they can be just as expert as I can be, you know. Does that not, I can imagine, and I mean, certainly for me, that might be quite scary for some teachers or some educators that, that they're in a situation where perhaps their students know more than they do about certain subjects. And, and if so, does that invalidate me as a teacher? You know, does, does it make me less important or, or less viable, if you like, in, in the role that I see myself in? Yeah, well, listen, I'm sure there's plenty of teachers that will feel like that. But I think the, the good teachers um, will never feel like that. I mean, we all love to see somebody in the class, maybe a mature student that knows a lot about something. You know, yeah. I mean, I know personally I do. Um, like, for example, this year and um, even in my class, we we basically what we do is in the dental nursing, we train um, students that have never stepped into a dental surgery they've no experience so they're going to, to get work experience two days a week so they're called the PLC students but then we have skills to advance students and some of these um, women and girls have been working as dental nurses for 10-20 years so who am I to say that I have like all the answers and I love them coming in and saying to me oh we use such and such material or we find this is great you know um, and, you know, if I kind of got offended every, every time I was, you know, educated by a student, I think I'd be in the wrong jo job, to be honest, you know. Yeah. As I said, I think, um, you know, really, for me, I love being a student and, yeah. you know, I love learning of my students too, you know. Um, is this, is this, this phrase that I've come across kind of reading the literature and being on a few of these courses myself this co-created learning is this is this what you're talking about is kind of like it being a journey together rather than a journey where you're telling people to go that way and and that's the only way to go I think we're all on a journey aren't we like I think we all I, I think ed education is a journey you know and I think if we were lucky enough to be on a journey with our students you know we have I I you know feel like I have the greatest job in the world sometimes you know and I think that if I can be in a class and go on a journey with, with our students and co-create with our students I think that's fantastic you know and every day I go into my job and you know I am taught new things as I said when you get a PowerPoint presentation that you think oh my god I didn't know you could do that like that's that's unbelievable that makes me curious and that makes me want to go and learn more you know it doesn't stop me in my tracks and say oh I don't know that so and they shouldn't know that you know it, it makes me more curious and I think that not nobody should stop learning I think everybody um should and I mean I, I got this opportunity to go back to education and I'm so grateful for it you know um, and I, I suppose for me, it's to pass the opportunity on to other people. And like education for me is more than about learning about a specific subject. You know, education is multi-layered, you know, it's about self-esteem. It's about confidence. It's about giving somebody a chance at a new life, you know, and sometimes people take the chances and sometimes the time isn't right for people that they'll start a course. And then they think, actually, this is not for me, and they'll they'll leave. Well, hopefully, they'll come back to it. You know, um, I think personally, for me, education has has totally changed my life. You know, totally. Um, like, 
I suppose I, when I went back to education, I had just gone through like a, a marriage separation. I had two young kids and I kind of thought, what am I going to do in my life? How am I going to get through this? And I wanted to, I suppose, to make something positive out of something negative, you know, and maybe to inspire. I think maybe for me it was to go back and inspire my kids. But it's just been, I don't think I've inspired them, by the way, at all. <laughs> um, but I think for me, it's been such a, a mind-blowing experience. You know, when I look at Jennifer from 2011 to Jennifer now, I don't, I don't recognize that person. You know, it's, uh, I will say that's all down trip to education. That's, that's amazing. And I mean, whether you've inspired the kids or not, you've certainly inspired me. Uh, you know, and and see, seeing what you were doing when we were on our course together with the Innovation Academy and stuff. I mean, that's why we kind of got together and, you know, have done some work together and stuff as well. So, uh, but I mean, are, are all your students like super motivated and want to be there and stuff or, or do you have to work at this? Because I mean, I, I guess there's there's teachers who are listening to this and thinking, you know, the kids in my class don't want to be there and, and they, they, you know, they, they, they don't want to come on Zoom and nobody will turn cameras on and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I suppose I worked very hard. I worked very hard at the start of the year to, I suppose, bond the students together a lot. Um, and, you know, at the start of the year, even with COVID, we could bring the students in for one day um, a week. And I worked very hard for them to kind of bond as a classroom. And at the beginning of, of any year, all students, I would say, well, the majority of students are quite motivated. You know, this is something new. You know, they want to change their lives. It's a new, you know, new challenge for them. And maybe by October or maybe November, you can see people are, are being demotivated. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And then you can see whose mommy has sent them to do a course or who kind of picked a course not really knowing what it was about so of course I mean look we all have motivation you know moments of motivation and moments of demotivation you know um but I think online what I found particularly um really important this year and I mean we, we did a lot of training actually myself and yourself but the importance of getting the students at the beginning of the year to turn on their cameras and be present in the moment. And I think that's the feedback that have come back from my from my colleagues is that a lot of people are te teaching to blank screens and they find it very difficult. Whereas my, my students all leave on their cameras. But I, I suppose um, what I did was I kind of created moments where they wanted to come, come on. Um, so you would give them little challenges to do before they came to class. Or sometimes what I would do is I would open up the Zoom meeting half an hour early and encourage them to come on with a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. So right. if they wanted to have a chat beforehand, they'd come on. So it was more of a social thing, you know. Um, like it is I, I will have to say it's it's much harder to motivate people online I will totally agree with you but it's not impossible to motivate people online you know and um, there is a lot of um, pastoral care involved I found this year you know there's a lot of kind of checking in on people making sure they're okay and whether that's sending an email to say I'm a little bit concerned I haven't seen you in class or maybe you, you've been to class but the camera wasn't turned on and you know so it could be just that little follow-up or you know picking up the phone and ringing students which I've done I spent the year kind of doing um 
because you don't know people's situation. And particularly this year, it's been difficult for, you know, mammies, young mammies who've been at home with their children or maybe somebody was caring for someone at home. Um, or a lot of a lot of the kids had, um, you know, part time jobs that they were trying to keep up with. So, um, you know, trying to keep people motivated is harder. But as I said, I think it's more pastoral care. That's where that comes into. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would agree. I mean, I think as, as a teacher and an educator myself, if you like, I've, I've always believed that pastoral care is really important in that mix. I know some teachers just want to come in, teach their subject and kind of go home and not necessarily, you know, engage with the students from that perspective. But uh, but I think and certainly in the year that's in it, you know, we're, we're recording this what at the end of March um, 2021, when when hopefully the, the, the COVID is is starting to recede and, and the vaccines are kicking in. Um, but we're all still working from home. We're all still on Zoom. There's virtually no connection with our students physically at the moment for most teachers and educators. And, and it's been a difficult year. It definitely has been a, a learning, hasn't it? Yeah. And I mean, I think that's maybe, you know, something that the students really miss. It's like it's the social aspect. And sometimes that's kind of taken for granted. I mean, when you look at the universities and the colleges and these these fabulous big campuses and Mm. lots of amazing facilities and, you know, people can't access that. And there's a reason that, you know, I suppose universities have these fabulous campuses because it is about bringing students together and it is the social aspect is so important and I mean like you know when I went to university I made some great friends there and I'm still in contact with these friends there you know and we have a Facebook page from our HSIP that we still keep in contact with so that was really important like I think we can't underestimate the importance of the students leaving the class and going for coffee and having a conversation going did you know what your mom was talking about? Joe didn't make any sense in that class. And for someone to say, well, actually, I think this is what he's trying to say. So, you know, sometimes the process, you know, and the thinking doesn't always happen in the class. Sometimes the thinking can happen outside the class, Mm. you know, and I think that's really important. And I think that's where, look, Zoom can never, you know, Zoom has been a great thing to use this year. But, you know, it can never kind of take over that. Um, But I think it's really important to use breakout rooms and give the students the opportunity to go in and talk in breakout rooms and, you know, vent if they need to, you know. Um, You mentioned mentioned social media there, you know, Facebook and stuff like that. Have you used any any other channels apart from, you know, Zoom, for instance, as part of your teaching and learning? um, For this year... um, so I've used uh, Jamboards a lot this year, um, like collaborative kind of boards. Um, I have to be honest with you, I'm not great on social media as such. I mean, I do like technology, mm. um, you know, well, for example, Twitter and stuff like that. Um, I'm not great. And I don't really like to use Twitter as a, a teaching tool. I think at the start of my career, I thought, oh, this would be great to use Facebook and, and Twitter. But I find there's a lot of negativity um you know with social media um so but i do like to use collaborative tools um i'm actually doing a course at the moment in nci um on learning and technology um so that's really interesting as well um but yeah i mean i've used a lot of technology this year to try and bring the students together like you know 
again, as I said, inside the class, but also outside the class as well. So yeah. to create this collaborative space for them. So um, maybe tell us one story about how you've used some kind of technology to to help the students kind of get something or, you know. Yeah, so like I suppose at the start of the year, I started to use Jamboards. And, you know, for anyone that has used Jamboards or who hasn't used Jamboards, it's in the, the Google Suites. Um, and I'm a big fan of Jam, of Jamboard. And it's a so free tool, Jamboard, is it? It's, it's a free tool. Yeah, it's fantastic. And it's a collaborative board. Um, and I, I suppose I started at the start of the year using Jamboards, introducing them and show, showed the students the benefits of the Jamboards. Um, and then actually um, the college got a, um, a license for Padlet. So I moved um, to Padlet as well. So that's exactly more or less the same. I know some people either love Padlet or hate it, but because we had the license for it, I could do everything on it. So what I've used um, Padlet for this year and the students loved it actually, was at the end of modules, um, I embedded it onto um, onto the page, onto Moodle. So we use a Moodle site. Um, and I kind of used it as an evaluation board. And it was a very public evaluation board. Um, the students could choose to be anonymous or not. I asked them very specific questions about the course because, again, I wanted to see what I could do better going forward, what they liked, what they didn't like, what I could do better, what they felt like they learned um, and what they wanted to learn. Um, so I use that and the, the students, it took them a couple of days, but once they started to put things up and from that, that was a really good learning tool for me also, you know, to get that feedback. Um, and then they started to kind of collaborate on that. Um, and then also what I do is I use it as a glossary board as well, Padlet. So I embedded it into Moodle um, and a lot of, um, I suppose, the theory, the language that they'll hear this year, you know, be quite scientific. Mm. Um, so I encourage them to investigate words. You know, the first time they hear a word, go off, investigate it, look it up and put it on the glossary board so yeah. we can refer back to it. So that's a kind of a live glossary board and then they can use that for a revision tool as well. So that kind of worked really well because they could embed YouTube clips. They could embed, um, you know, lots of different websites. So mm. that worked really well as well. So and I suppose you see what terms they're putting up there. So that exactly. informs you that that was kind of a, a knowledge gap that they had. Absolutely. That's it. And sometimes, you know, when you're online and you're asking people at the end of the class, did everybody understand it? There's, there's lots of people in the class that don't understand it, but they're, you know, that maybe they're too embarrassed to say, well, actually, I didn't get that. But yeah. by offering this, they can say, you know, they can kind of put up these statements. I didn't understand that. Or, you know, um, this word I don't understand, so I'm going to go off and investigate it. So okay. that, that really worked so well this year, you know. Um, yeah, so that's kind of just one of the technologies. Um, mm -hmm. I tried not to overwhelm the students too much with too much technology yes. this year. I think that's one thing I was very mindful of because although I find discovering technology very exciting and I can see a million ways of using stuff, you know, if a student goes into my class and I'm showing them five new platforms and then they go into another teacher's class and they have five different platforms, mm -hmm. 
um very quickly i think they get very tired yeah. yeah very overwhelmed by it so this discussion we had at the start of the year in our department in the dental department was that we all agreed to use the same platforms so we picked three platforms that we wanted to use and use it really well and that we could see potential to use it throughout the year and we could build on it so the students, you know, they got to use Moodle, they got to use Jamboards, they got to use Padlets. And the other one that we use, I used a lot this year was like Edpuzzle as well. They, they love that, you know. And look, YouTube is fantastic um, as well. Yeah. But yeah, I tried. I, and I think that would be probably a tip I'd probably give teachers. Try not to overwhelm students with technology, you know. Um Okay. You, you know, again, it's like we all assume things sometimes. So we assume people have, you know, access to Wi-Fi and they've access to all these, you know, laptops and um, but often, often students don't, you know. Yes. Yeah, so we've got to be more inclusive and aware of the fact that maybe they only have a phone to come in. Absolutely. Or they only have a Padlet, yeah, a tablet to come in yeah. on or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's super. Right. Well, we're, we're, we're kind of. 40 minutes in and, and, and I mean, it's incredible the, the, the ground we've covered. I'm just going to kind of ask you a few more specific questions. Um, and, and I know you, you gave me some information before we started today. So one of the things, one of the questions is, um, are there any books that we should all read as educators? And I think you put down The Hidden Lives of Learners by Graham Nuttall. So, so why, why The Hidden Lives of Learners? What did, why, why should we all read that book? Well, I came across this book, actually, believe it or not, when I was in college, when I was in my HDIP, and I was reading all sorts of books for education. I was reading Ferrari and everyone else. So, but I, this book kind of really stayed with me and I, I love reading. I read a lot, but the thing about me is I forget, <laughs> I forget things really quickly. Yes. So I'll, I'll never remember the author and I'll never remember the name of the book, but I actually revisited this book and I never revisit books because I just feel like there's too many books, you know? Um, but this book really stayed with me actually. And um, again, if you look up YouTube, there's a really good um, clip on YouTube as well about this book as well. But I kind of went back to it when I started in um, in Merino. Um, I had it upstairs and I went back. So basically the whole premise of the book is, uh, I suppose um, as, like, as a teacher, there's three areas in teaching, you know? So as a teacher, you go into a class and you have this information that you have to give to your students. So we're focused on the curriculum. We're focused on our module descriptor. We're focusing on, as you said, being sage on the stage and mm. pouring this information into, you know, that's really our job, you know? But the next part of um, education then is the social aspect. So how much the students learn from each other, you know? So what goes on, you know, with each other, the social aspects. And then the third part of education is when students actually are interested enough to listen to the information the teacher has given, you know, learning through their peers, but how they become independent learners outside as well. So they're interested enough to say, actually, that was something interesting. Um, so I'm going to kind of leave, um, you know, I'm going to go off and do a, a research. And to create that independent researcher is what we all want fundamentally of our students, you know. 
Um, and again, that I, I just I loved reading that book. It was just um, just some, some a book that kind of stayed with me because you know, as I said, as a teacher, we think that's our responsibility is to teach. But as a student, there's so much more to it, you know. And you seem, build, you seem to build that into your process in a way that you, 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 you share ideas with your students, but then you give them the opportunity to go off and build on those ideas and come back to a Jamboard or a Padlet or whatever. So that seems to be taking those three ideas and incorporating them into your teaching. Yeah, probably. And I think maybe that, that's why the, the book kind of sang to me so much, because remember, I, re I read it as I was doing my HDIP, so I was a student, but I could really see the benefits of it. And I thought this is actually really great because, you know, I can go in and sit in a philosophy of education um, lecture and like, what do I actually know about it or what do I want to know about it? So, you know, you can come in and lecture me for an hour Am I interested enough sit, to sit down and have a coffee and talk to my peers about it and then go over to the library and find a book about it? Mm. Um, so how do you ignite that spark in somebody? Um, and then I suppose that flipped for me then as a teacher because I was on the other side and I wanted to create that independent learner, you know? Um, I wanted to kind of give people that, you know, that need, you know, to go off and learn, you know, okay. um, to kind of expand your mind, you know? Um, I mean, isn't that what real innovative educators do? They they act almost as a catalyst, don't they? They're a spark. Absolutely. Like fire, I suppose. And, and, you know, Joe, sometimes it's just about, um, you know, a teacher having a kind word for a student or yeah. saying to a student, I believe in you. You know, I, I, I can see you're struggling, but I know you're going to be great. And I know you're going to, uh, you know, overcome this challenge. I, I know, look like a lot of people listen to this and go that's all well and good but if you have 40 students in a class you know that's hard to do and it is hard to do but you know it is sometimes just about having that kind word and not criticizing and uh, you know we're so quick to criticize you know as human beings you know um I, I think it's kind of it's a really nice thing to offer a kind word to someone and sometimes as a human being that's all you need is for someone to say to you, I believe in you. I know you can do this, you know. Um, or even just I see you. I see you. Sometimes in a class of 40, a student can feel invisible, can't they? Absolutely. I, Absolutely. I found that with Zoom particularly. I mean, Zoom lets you call on people by name. Yes. I think that's, that's one thing that I've learned about teaching online this year is I've got everybody's name in their little little window at the bottom of the screen and stuff. And so whenever I ask a question, I always say, right, Jen, tell me what you think about whatever. And you've got that connection, which yeah. perhaps in a, in, a, in a regular classroom, you know, it's early on in the term and you've not learned everybody's names and stuff. And you're just kind of pointing at somebody and saying, what do you think about that? <laughs> and it's not the same, is it? No, the same. no. It's look. It is sometimes that a personal touch, you know. It's um, it's it's as you said, as a student being seen and being heard, you know. Um, and a lot of people come back to education with such bad experiences, whether they're seventeen year old and has just literally, you know, like I spend the first couple of months when I'm teaching, 
and um, people putting up their hand and saying, you know, miss, can I go to the toilet? I'd be like, okay, first of all, my name's Jennifer. And second yeah. of all, yeah, of course you can go to the toilet. You're an adult. But, you know, when, and I totally get why in secondary school they have to do that. I mean, you know, it's all about discipline and classroom management. But, you know, as an adult, some people return with this negative voice in their head saying, you were never good enough. You're not good enough. You're still not good enough, you know. Um, and sometimes they just need someone to flip that switch and say, you're totally good enough. I can see your potential. You know, you're, you amaze me every day. I can't wait to see your PowerPoint presentation, yeah. you know. So um, I think that's, you know, really important as well. Fantastic. So I suppose to round off, the podcast is called Plus One Teaching. So what's your actionable plus one if you like that that you'd like to give the rest of rest of us as, as educators and as listeners if you like what would you like us to do um well again i suppose um because i'm associated with udl and because i believe in it so much um i would love people to go off and kind of read up about udl as i said just put it into google if you've never heard of it and if you have heard of it or if you've done the course you know, implement one thing, you know, give, give one form of choice during the year. It doesn't have to be directly related to an assignment. It can be something that you do in the classroom. Like look at the framework, see how you can change your teaching because it really does change your teaching. UDL will absolutely blow your mind. Um, it really is. So, you know, that would be my plus one. If you if you're feeling weary or you feel like oh, I really want to make a change, you know, I've been doing the same thing for 10 years. You know, my students are very demotivated. What can I do? Look up UDL, you know, um, there's great courses that ahead and UCD do and um, they'll be rolling them out again next year. So, you know, look them up and um you know read the framework it's th that's the other thing about the framework of udl is anybody can read it you know it's so user-friendly it's it's in plain english simple english that people can have that aha moment and go oh yeah actually i really get this and it's kind yeah. of it's, it's open as well isn't it i mean they've shared it they want people to pick it up and run with Absolutely. it and stuff, so yeah it's... there's so many youtube clips on it this you know i've done lots of courses um online of UDL, I've done cast courses, um, so they do, they they want people to spread the word, you know, and, and um, get into it. I suppose if I have a plus two, Joe, am I allowed to have a plus two? You're allowed to have a plus two, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose for me as well, it's, it's never stop learning, never stop being a, a student, you know. Um, I think there's so much joy in learning and so much joy in feeling like you've achieved something and you've accomplished something and you've learned something new, you know, um, like, you know, even in like uh, as an elder teacher, you can still say, actually, that's something new. I didn't know that, you know. Um, so, yeah, keep learning and have empathy for your students, you know, yeah. that's that's the way definitely. i mean I'm the, definitely I'm echo the biggest, both of those. Yeah. yeah absolutely i'm the biggest procrastinator known to man i'll do everything to avoid um you know handing an assignment or you know i know that something's due tomorrow i better sit down and do it like that's exactly what students do so we're all the same you know yeah so never stop learning 
That's fantastic. Well, look, I think we'll I think we'll wrap it up there. Thank you so much for for giving your time today. Um, I, I think that's been a, a great start to to the podcast, and I think you've you've given us some super food for thought. And as always, I've been inspired by listening to you. So so thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for having me on. Okay. All right. And we will uh, draw a close there. Thank you so much. Great. Thanks.